Thank you for listening to the Define Nobody's podcast with Eric Arjuna and special guests. If you enjoy this episode, please like and subscribe so you never miss a show. If you're on Instagram, please follow us at Divine Nobody's Podcast and join our ever-growing community of lightworkers and spiritual visionaries. Together, we can raise the frequency of our planet and bring in a new era of awakening and understanding. Welcome to our tribe. And now your host, Eric Ajna. Hey there, friends. Thank you for tuning in to Find Nobody's Podcast. You know, right before I sat down to record, I saw this meme that just had me just kind of completely losing my mind in laughter. It was this uh, it was this meme of Mark Wahlberg just making this like, what the fuck? It was like this what the fuck face. And the text on it read, that face you make when you're dealing with someone who has their crown chakra stuck in their root chakra. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, that's hilarious. And I couldn't stop laughing. You know, even my cats were like, dude, are you okay? <laughs> and like, like, I needed a moment. So it's, it's basically like a new age quip, sort of like meant to convey something rather juvenile uh, into a softer, more uh, seemingly evolved way of saying that someone has their head in their ass, right? <laughs> and as much as I'm uh, reluctant to condone you know, social media's way of uh, trivializing what we know to be a sacred system of Hindu philosophy... Another part of me can't help but sort of revel in the sheer brilliance of how the internet is kind of pushing us further into a type of postmodernistic world where all the matters of tradition are being blended together into this uh, melting pot of ridiculous memes, right? As serious as we all tend to, to be in our path, it's things like spiritual memes that can help kind of remind us of our humanness, like in the midst of a serious world on the brink of some type of insanity. And, uh, and it was something as, as simple as a meme that you know, altered the, the trajectory of what I wanted to talk about today. I initially wanted to talk about our addiction to learning and, and healing along our path, but I feel a, a bit more inspired to dive into the esoteric system of what we all know to be the chakras. So I, I think my, my reasoning for this comes as a result of how we tend to trivialize them in our Western culture. And uh, as much as we all tend to trivialize them, there's a much deeper, more profound teaching that we can extract from the system of chakras that I, I would love to explore with you all, if I could. Uh, you know, when most people think of the chakra system, we often think about them as uh, energy centers that exist within the body, right? We think of them as these sort of uh, spinning vortexes of energy that embody certain spiritual characteristics, we could say. It's, uh, it's not uncommon to overhear conversations on uh, the mat and yoga class where, you know, two people are discussing the implications of a blocked chakra. Typically what this means when someone says that something is blocked is that they, they aren't fully embodying a certain spiritual quality they feel will, you know, bring them more in alignment with their true self. You know, when someone's throat chakra feels blocked, uh, it can often mean that, you know, they're having trouble communicating their truth in some way. Uh, this can often kind of unravel itself in relationships between two people, you know, where they're not able to communicate with each other in a nonviolent way. Or um, someone that experiences maybe fear with public speaking and so, you know, has difficulty with speaking out of fear of being judged or of making a mistake. Another example would be if someone's heart chakra feels blocked and so they're having difficulty with uh, expressing feelings of vulnerability with their partners. Right? Or maybe they, they feel a reluctance to be intimate, whether it be uh, emotional or physical. And so in our understanding of certain chakras feeling blocked, we often utilize the chakra system as a catalyst to help us kind of determine where we need to focus our spiritual work. We often feel that if one of these chakras is blocked, it equates to a sort of imbalance in, in how we live our lives. In other words, we, we don't entirely feel whole. While the chakra system is an efficient tool in helping us gain perspective of uh, where we are in our life, uh, what most people don't realize about the chakras uh, is that it also represents a very complex and comprehensive system of philosophy that can really help us better understand the nature of the spiritual self. I mean, of course, it, uh, it's definitely a potent tool to use uh, when identifying where our issues may be, right? But uh, I, I find that we can often become dependent on the chakras as a tool to 
sort of satisfy the ego's insatiable need to seek out problems. And as a result, you know, we end up creating even more of them through the pressure that we place onto ourselves to try and uh, resolve them. We tend to transform the chakra system into this game of sort of like whack-a-mole, you know, where we unblock one chakra, another block pops up somewhere else, right? So we never feel entirely in balance. Of course, you know, if, if that's the journey some people are on, then, you know, that's the journey that best serves them at the moment. I mean, I can certainly relate to it because uh, I feel like we've all been immersed in this way of thinking at some point. I mean, especially in Los Angeles where I live, you know, we tend to approach the system of chakras in a way that, you know, we approach, you know, horoscopes and astrology. We kind of approach it in the same way. Maybe perhaps some of where the issue lies is in our understanding because, you know, the chakra system is not a psychological system. I mean, it's it's not like our chakras are, you know, sending push notifications to our phone anytime it feels out of alignment, right? And yet because it doesn't do this, you know, we often feel fairly confident in our mind's sort of interpretation of where we feel the imbalance is. And when we do interpret where the imbalance is, you know, we're often comfortable with this sort of black or white thinking when determining that a chakra is either completely open or completely blocked. We most certainly don't have an efficient way uh, to determine, you know, what an acceptable threshold would be. I mean, who gets to determine if something is blocked or open? You know, is there like a, a pain measurement system that allows us to select a number between, you know, one and 10 in levels of uh, severity? And uh, even if there was, I mean, can we really trust in our mind's own interpretation of how we feel? I mean, I'm certain many of us, if we are sincere, can answer this honestly. But, you know, I, I feel a bit cynical when I overhear someone talking about a blocked chakra or a blocked sacral chakra because they couldn't orgasm during sex, you know? I mean, certainly chakras can't be that sensitive and prone to, you know, slamming the door in our faces anytime we experience something uncomfortable. I think um, more than anything, it seems that we develop a relationship with the chakras that is kind of similar to some of the most toxic relationships we've likely had. Only, you know, the relationship is with our ego's interpretation of our chakras, right? And uh, I only say ego's interpretation of the chakras because uh, a lot of this sort of, you know, off and on black or white behavior seems very specific to something that our egos are known for, right? And that is thinking from a dualistic perspective. You know, the ego approaches everything with, you know, the emotional maturity of a hormonal sort of 14-year-old teenager. And that's fine for a hormonal 14-year-old teenager, but, you know, those of us that are adults, uh, we need to take a bit more accountability over the things that we feel, right? Of course, that that's not to say that we shouldn't be sensitive, you know? I mean, I'm a Libra. You know, if there's anyone with a sensitive disposition, it's it's certainly me. What I'm pointing to isn't about being less sensitive, Okay but it's really about approaching how we feel with a bit more wisdom and understanding. You know, if, if we're being sincere about how we feel, um, maybe we wouldn't approach the chakra system in such a trivial way. I mean, it, it would be more accurate to conclude that our sort of ongoing unconscious behaviors would more likely cause something like a blockage in any one of these energy centers and not just single isolated events, right? But um, although this may happen at times, we need to exercise a bit more discretion because, to be honest, I mean, we as spiritual beings, we aren't as weak as we make our chakras out to be. You know, we can endure a lot of pain in our lives before we even get to a point where we need to do something about it. And uh, our chakras are, are very much the same way, right? So, so my point in bringing this up is that all too often we approach certain practices and systems of spirituality as a psychological process. I mean, it may not appear this way in the beginning. It's true. You know, it often starts fairly innocent. You know, we, we may approach spirituality from a place of, you know, honesty and true vulnerability. And it, it's that sincerity in how we feel or what we're going through that sort of allows for some people to even be open to Eastern spiritual themes. But um, once we've allowed these teachings into our lives... The next course of action is trying to understand them in a way that only we know how, usually. And, uh, you know, little by little, we discover, you know, how the ego sabotages our progress, you know? And it does this by bringing spirituality purely into the realm of the mind. And so, 
you know, spirituality goes from being a psychological process when, you know, it should be an experiential and existential process. There's actually an even more profound use of the chakra system that many people actually overlook. I mean, more than anything, the chakra system represents a, a spiritual journey that is effective only when we are engaged with life at experiential level, right? And many people, they don't even realize how all the chakras sort of simultaneously work together, even when we feel, you know, one chakra may be out of balance. So uh, it's important to not isolate our understanding of chakras to just sort of one spinning vortex that feels out of shape while, you know, at the same time neglecting how all the other chakras work to help sort of illuminate the path for you. You know, I think if we begin looking at the chakra system as a means to gauge spiritual development and, you know, the journey it takes to arrive at a certain level of spiritual illumination, then um, I believe that we could, you know, better utilize its teaching in a way that's more experiential and less psychological. You know, the, the point of spiritual teachings is to bring it into the heart, right? Bring it into the heart and not, and not just keep it housed in the mind, which, you know, all too often, many people tend to do. So, you know, if we look at, for example, the root chakra, it typically represents survival. It represents survival and how we feel grounded in reality. You know, it's, it's the first chakra at the base of the spine, right? Because it, it represents a, a type of beginning. And if we're, you know, looking at the chakras as a symbolic representation of the spirit's journey, then we can assign the root chakra to our birth, right? We can assign it to our birth and things like the early stages of our emotional and spiritual development. You know, um, many people think that their spiritual journey starts when we realize that we are spiritual beings. Of course, you know, this isn't true. You know, the spiritual journey starts when you're born. The only difference is that we don't realize or accept that this is the case until we have some sort of illumination that causes us to see it, right? So it's happening and it's been happening. Only, you know, we have this organism called ego that we've developed at an early age that sort of eclipsed our ability to recognize the spiritual self, you know, which makes sense really, because when we're young, we're getting all kinds of shit thrown at us from the start. I mean, of, of course we'd miss it, right? I mean, if we lived in a more spiritually motivated world, we'd be trained by our parents to see the ego more as a tool instead of being trained to develop a sense of self just, you know, so strong that we forget the sort of subtle spirit that exists within us. Of course, you know, we see elements of this spiritual self and, you know, the creative and innocent energy of children, right? But it's not too long until we see that sort of thing just start to fade over time. And what takes its place is a more sort of hardened, more structured and more defined sense of self, usually. Our western world may in a lot of ways, see this as progress, right? But let's just say this spiritual sage often sees this as a hindrance to our spiritual growth. It's interesting that we spend most of our lives trying to unfuck our minds from something that we've spent more than half of our lives trying to create, right? So, you know, essentially, the root chakra represents our youth, right? It represents a period in the spirit's journey where we're attempting to find our place in the material world. Now, I don't mean this in a superficial way, you know, like the spirit isn't looking for a click to roll with during lunch hour at school, but you know, what the spirit is seeking during this time is a sense of security, right? It's learning how its existence fits within this sort of three-dimensional reality that it's a part of. And it's practical things, right? Practical things in this realm that can illuminate this chakra for us, right? Having shelter, food, uh, feeling a sense of community, right? A lot of which is, you know, provided by our parents and our caretakers most of the time. And much like, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of basic needs, once we feel this sense of security, then we can sort of naturally evolve into other things, which, you know, brings us into the sacral chakra, which uh, is the second chakra located below the navel where, you know, most of our intimate parts reside, Right. Now, we know what the attributes of the sacral typically are, right? It represents creative expression, sexuality, integration with emotions, things like that. And if we are, again, looking at this chakra system as a spirit's journey towards enlightenment, then we can sort of look at the sacral chakra as a representation of where the spirit enters its adolescent teen years. Because, you know, 
if we're talking about creativity, sexuality, uh, creative expression, and emotions, this is a period of life that most of us remember a lot of this process starting to unfold for us, right? Our bodies begin developing, our pleasure centers and neurotransmitters begin sort of firing in all cylinders, and uh, we become some, you know, interested in the idea of things like sex, right? We feel an abundance of hormones sort of preparing us for this evolutionary process we all know as procreation with the opposite sex. And in the midst of this, you know, mysterious impulse to love another human being, we begin to notice that, you know, much of what inspires us to be creative is our desire for love, you know, whether it be through intimacy or friendships, right? And uh, if you're a Libra like me, you know, a lot of how these feelings express themselves is through things like songwriting, poetry, art, you know, even fashion, you know, I mean, it, it doesn't, it doesn't seem as obvious that creativity is a, is a result of, you know, the spirit's desire to love and be loved. But if you listen to any one of your favorite songs, you know, it's highly likely that they are about love, but you know, only 100% of the time, right? So, you know, the sacral chakra, it represents a period in our youth where we begin to explore who we are creatively through self-expression and uh, through our relationships with other people. And as a result, we sort of begin to develop a sense of self and a sense of self-love. And, you know, and really, we really get an idea of how others perceive us as well. So yeah, once uh, we continue through the chakras, the sort of, you know, yet to be illuminated spirit travels from the sacral to the solar plexus, which represents, you know, our ability to govern our sense of self. And it's in this chakra that we begin to understand uh, our own will, right? And our own power in this sort of three-dimensional world. Now, one can say that this is the part of the journey where many people are prone to falling asleep because, you know, we can become really overly identified with the outcomes of our actions, whether it be inter like interpersonal or, you know, through the progress we make in reaching certain, you know, professional milestones in life, like our career, for example. So the sort of symbolic representation of this third chakra falls more in line with where many of us are in our 20s and 30s, right? Right? Like our root chakras are, are firmly grounded in reality and we've developed enough safety to sort of fully embody the creative aspect of our divinity through our sacral chakra. And from this, we begin to develop a, a strong sense of who we are and what type of impact we can make through our personal will, right? Through our own power. And this happens through our solar plexus. And this can be a, a really risky place for many people because, you know, we can easily fall victim to uh, a type of self-centeredness with life, right? We can more easily fall victim to, you know, believing that we exist apart from the rest of the world, just based on what we feel, right? What we believe and just how we see reality. And these are, these are a lot of the struggles that we tend to face in our twenties and thirties, right? You know, like we, we start to truly see the implications of our actions and relationships and, you know, those in the world that we collaborate with. Now you'll notice that, you know, there tend to be more harmonious and contrasting qualities to each chakra, right? Just as we can fall victim to the negative aspects of life, you know, if we are at least a little cognizant of what it means to be a good person as we sort of go along this journey, uh, you'll notice how beneficial it is to learn these aspects of the chakras. Because many, many of us, you know, we don't even have the context for a spiritual journey that early in life, right? But even if you aren't aware of the symbolic aspect of the chakras, the spirit is always gravitating towards a type of harmony with life at all times. And we don't even have to be deeply spiritual for the spirit to seek this out. You know, we notice, I think, early on how powerful of a force love is, spiritual or not. It's just that, you know, once we open ourselves up to spirituality and let's just say our 20s or our 30s, you know, we retroactively look back and realize that we've always been on a journey seeking love. We just didn't immediately realize it. Because a spiritual journey, it's really that simple, you know. It's a journey in understanding the fundamental basis of reality, and that is love. And what the chakras represent is the sort of intrinsic blueprint that every person and spirit experiences. You know, it represents the most powerful stages we encounter on our path in love. 
you know, even if they are stages, you know, doesn't mean that they're the same for every person. You know, how each stage sort of manifests will, you know, be largely dependent on your actions. Though what the chakras represent is a more inherent quality of seeking that a spirit engages in, in our sort of quest for love. And that journey may look different for each person, but, you know, collectively, our natural gravitation towards love is the same. So whether you're a Christian or a Buddhist or a Catholic or, or Hindu, it, it doesn't matter because fundamentally the, the seeking towards love is really built into every spiritual denomination. Your spirituality can be monotheistic or polytheistic. You can be a realist or a materialist. It, it doesn't make a difference. Every human being seeks out love. And that's why it's sort of inherent and built into the fabric of who we are. You know, like it's instinctual. It's in our nature. Yet, you know, many of us, we don't fully awaken to this understanding until we begin sort of developing a type of moral compass in life. And, you know, this moral compass is built more or less through trial and error, right? It's something we all go through. You know, many of us, you know, don't fully realize the importance of love until we've experienced what it's like to, you know, have our life fall apart due to a lack of love or a lack of self-love. Or until that, you know, one special person enters into our lives and shakes up the foundation of how we see everything in reality, right? I mean, we all know what kind of carnage romantic love sort of imposes on our lives when it's toxic. But we also, you know, get to experience how beautiful love can be uh, when it's shared with someone that, you know, knows how to love. So my point is this, right? Whether we know about the Eastern system of chakras or not, our spirit will naturally gravitate towards spiritual enlightenment as much as we allow it to and through the practice of love. But, you know, if we approach this accelerated evolution in our development, uh, where we're gifted the sort of privilege of learning about the chakras, then it will provide us with, you know, an even clearer roadmap of where the spirit sort of naturally gravitates in our journey back home, right? Our journey, our journey to love. So, you know, once uh, we fully embody the teaching of the solar plexus, we're going to go back to the chakras here. Once we've embodied this teaching and we understand our power as human beings, then we begin to awaken to something, something much more fundamental to who we are. And that, my friends, is the heart chakra, which, of course, the symbolism of this chakra is built into the name, which is pretty self-explanatory, right? So it represents the period of our life when we begin to understand what it means to love, not only ourselves, but others as well. Now, the beautiful thing about the heart chakra is that it's structured a bit differently than that of all the other lower chakras before it. We mentioned that a lot of the lower chakras having to do with a type of, you know, archetypal emotional development we encounter during certain numeric ages in our lives, right? We talked about that. Now, in Eastern spirituality, the heart chakra is the one energy center that sort of bridges the physical dynamics of our journey in and connected with the spiritual. And once this conversion takes place, we begin to get a notion for what the timeless realm consists of. Now, when I mention timeless, um, there seems to be more of an understanding of the spirit being an infinite and internal presence in this reality. And once this sort of notion begins to shine through us, there's a part of the ego that begins to dissolve into the unknown. And this is because, you know, in the presence of a heart-centered love, we begin to feel uh, love as something sort of much more vast and expansive than anything our ego could conjure up in the mind, right? And, you know, something as simple as spending a day with someone we love can unlock this sort of experiential feeling of eternity in us to feel. I mean, we've all experienced this to some degree, you know, like when you're at the beach with your partner watching a sunset or uh, when we spend all night talking, right? And after what seems to be two hours ends up being like six hours, right? You find yourself making love as you see the sort of gentle glow of the sunrise peeking through your blinds. You know, it, it's disorienting when we try and wrap our minds around where the time goes in moments like this, right? Like one hour can literally feel like an eternity. And in this realm, this space is what I would consider to be being fully embraced by the present moment. And because the present moment exists outside of the mental constructs of time, we enter into the timeless realm that exists here, right? It exists here 
and uh, in this moment. And, you know, it, it, it's peculiar that this experience sort of tends to happen more often with people we absolutely love, you know, whether it be friends or partners. It is this sort of realm where neither you nor them exist, right? Instead, you become God just meeting God, right? You become the eternal meeting the eternal. Or you become, you know, what they call an Advaita Vedanta as being fully absorbed in the bliss of Nirvikalpa Samadhi, you know, like where the Atman becomes fully absorbed in the Brahman. So, you know, so many things can occur once we've entered into this space of the heart chakra. But, um, you know, as it pertains to this journey that we're exploring, the heart chakra is not bound to uh, a certain developmental age once we approach this point. Because if we're tapped into the spiritual aspect of the heart, then the ego essentially stops counting age. It often realizes that age is just a number. And what is fundamentally true is that the spirit is not bound to age, right? And so we begin exploring things like, you know, reincarnation, life after death, God, and uh, the journey that occurs after this life and even before it, right? So more new age themes. People at this point tend to explore or go deeper into that realm. So the heart chakra sort of represents our spirit's awakening to the inherent loving spirit inside. Now, you know, we need to give credit to the journey prior to this point, right? Because there is relevance there. Like in order to awaken to the heart chakra, like we typically have to explore the various elements of all the lower chakras, you know, before we can even understand what it means to love. Because, you know, they all work together. So the need to feel safe and grounded in a reality, the sort of impulse for a human to create and express their divinity in life is all worked into our understanding of love, right? So the heart chakra, uh, it represents a, a, a very powerful milestone in our journey. And it, it's certainly one that should be celebrated. Now, uh, whether or not we cultivate a healthy practice and keeping this sort of energetic sphere turning uh, is up to us, you know, because once we awaken the heart chakra, it can begin to operate sort of like an engine in dire need of an oil change if we don't focus on nurturing these loving aspects of ourselves, right? And this goes for all the chakras, you know, like they'll continue functioning, but they won't function as efficiently as they should if we aren't remaining present to our own practices. These practices don't even need to be, you know, quote unquote spiritual. You know, it can be something as simple as just eating healthy, you know, journaling, uh, meditating for 20 minutes during a lunch break, you know, so anything that allows you to be more present in your body, right? Or anything that just makes you feel good. I mean, we forget, you know, if, if source created everything in our universe, then everything is essentially spiritual, right? As long as we are practicing balance with the things that we engage in. Okay. So I obviously have an affinity for the heart chakra as Libra, right? Like my, my ruling planet is Venus, and so, you know, love is sort of like uh, the fuel that powers my ship. And I've spent all of my life trying to understand this sort of mysterious force we call love. And it hasn't always been easy. You know, I, I've had relationships that absolutely destroyed me. And yet, you know, those same relationships taught me some of the most important lessons on what it means to love. I mean, not only myself, but others as well, you know, creating healthy boundaries so the point of the, the heart chakra isn't to perfect being a good partner. It isn't a quest to not fuck up in the realm of life. Uh, the teaching of the heart chakra is to learn about love in every situation we find ourselves in, right? Whether it be a broken heart or even just pure bliss with another person. You know, as much as people believe that the road to enlightenment is paved with positive experiences, it, it's not. And the heart chakra teaches us this very fact. Because, you know, we can just as easily awaken to our true selves through a broken heart in the same way that somebody, you know, awakens through beautiful and blissful experiences. You know, th this whole process isn't a teaching in morality. You know, that's, that's Christianity's game, okay? The spiritual journey is grounded in learning. And, you know, more often than not, we, we don't always learn the most important lessons by being good, if you can believe that. And ironically enough, you know, it, it's often our moral theories about what we consider good that tends to sort of cause a lot of the problems that we deal with in life. I mean, imagine the kind of pressure we place onto ourselves when we, you know, formulate theories on moral good and then sort of process these theories through the mind. I mean, we end up setting the bar just so high 
that it becomes literally impossible to reach. And then when we don't reach it, you know, we fall into things like depression or, you know, we begin a sort of self-defeating dialogue with ourselves where we feel unworthy. I mean, it's crazy, right? I mean, think about how much shame we are brought up with when it comes to things like our sexuality and, you know, what the Bible considers impure thoughts. It considers impure thoughts as a sort of inner influence of the devil, right? Of Satan. I mean, it says in Matthew 5, 27, if I can bring up the Bible, it says this, it says, but I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery in his heart. Really? I mean, isn't this sort of reminiscent of some of the most insecure and toxic relationships that we've probably had in the past? I mean, it's interesting that a lot of these verses tend to make God seem like a jealous and insecure force, right? And, you know, perhaps that would at least make a little bit of sense if God were a person, right? But he's not. Though, you know, the ones who placed pen to paper and drafted the Bible were, in fact, people. And, uh, it, you know, it's, it's no surprise how the influence of the fallible ego seems to play a huge part in our creation of even the inspired workings of God with our sort of, um, you know, black or white ways of thinking. You know, to, to feel the amount of shame that some people feel by simply laying eyes on an attractive woman or man seems to be an exercise in futility, you know, considering we're being bombarded with sexual imagery all day long on social media, on things like television, right? It seems then that we're setting ourselves up for failure at almost literally every turn. You know, religion more than anything, it, I don't know, it, it seems to be set up in such a way as to always keep us in this state of feeling shame for being human. Because as long as we feel this shame, as long as we feel like sinners inside, like we'll always be in this state of codependency with a biblical God, right? We'll be in that state of codependency, just seeking forgiveness for literally everything that we do. And, you know, we all know that living our lives through the lens of shame never, ever equates to living a beautiful life. You know, more than anything, we see the negative implications of shame and fear in how we tend to treat other people, right? Thus, we have a world where millions of people are, you know, taking their microaggressions out on others, right? And they're doing this through unjust laws and, you know, this sort of prosecutorial behavior. I think if we are to um, translate the verses of the Bible in a way that's more conducive to a loving world, I, I think that it would be more accurate to conclude, or it, it would be more accurate to say that we have a choice, right? We have a choice in every situation as to what path we'd like to take towards love. And neither choice is right or wrong. It's just that one choice may lead you to God faster than the other choice, right? Because, you know, just as in Buddhism, the Buddhist precepts are not a religion. They're not rules to follow, right? They're, they're simply precepts to follow on how to live a more harmonious life. And even if we don't always follow them, doesn't mean that we aren't good people or that we're sinners. You know, it, it just means that the path may be a bit more grueling than it is for someone willing to practice some sort of spiritual discipline, right? But either way, regardless, the destination is the same, regardless of what path we choose. To be honest, some people, you know, benefit more from taking the path of most resistance, right? Just as some people, you know, benefit more from taking the path of least resistance. I mean, my path certainly was definitely the path of most resistance, you know, like I've made a ton of mistakes in my life and I spent 20 years feeling shame about the mistakes that I've made. And I did that only to realize that the opposite was true when I got to my 30s. I now realize how silly it is that we stigmatize the qualities in us that we deem unworthy. Because those qualities, you know, those experiences are every bit as responsible for our ability to love as love itself. You know, like many people wouldn't even have entered into the spiritual dimension if not for their trauma. And yet, you know, some are out there just beating themselves into the ground for things that they've endured years ago, years ago. And we often find that their inability to integrate the shadow into their lives is what causes them to feel stuck in life right? Never moving forward, you know, never, never forgiving themselves. I mean, perhaps at least some of the error lies in our understanding of forgiveness. 
right? Of course, you know, some people may think it's as easy as verbally forgiving ourselves or others for the things that have happened. But, you know, true forgiveness is more than just an affirmation, right? True forgiveness is really predicated on our ability to learn and deeply understand why we did certain things we did or, you know, why others did what they did or, or feel the things that we felt. And, you know, forgiveness is about utilizing these experiences as tools to just be better people. And, you know, the only way that we can do that is if we not feel shame for being human. And the only way that we can do that is, is to realize that, that we are human, humans that have to make mistakes in order to learn. We're humans that, that need the complexity and contrast in order to understand what it means to love. So my point is this, okay? True spirituality is not a system of moral truths because morality really is, is a byproduct of the mind's proclivity towards polarity. It's the mind's proclivity towards black or white thinking. And because polarity leaves no room for nuance or complexity, uh, we often find ourselves stuck in this sort of all good, all bad model of looking at the world. And, you know, to think that the infinite can be bound to just two possibilities, just, it seems, it seems quite silly, you know, it, it seems silly considering the infinite created every element of life we experience, both light and dark, because, you know, God is both the creator and the destroyer, right? He is both Krishna and Kali. And if we are fundamentally created in the image of God, then, you know, we, we can't deny the shadow within ourselves. Ultimately, you know, true spirituality is, is not a moral path of opposites. Spirituality, it's a quest for truth and love. And every path is set up in such a way as to give us, you know, an opportunity to discover that. And there are, you know, a myriad of ways in which, you know, we arrive to that discovery. And, you know, many of which, you know, aren't always the easiest paths to follow. So as it pertains to the heart chakra, I mean, the, the heart is where the spiritual maturity starts to really unfold for us, right? We see the effects of how love moves in our lives. Uh, we see how love grows and expands. Uh, we see the potential of what can be created in life through love. And it is at this point where we realize sort of like the extent of where our power, our purpose, and our meaning are in just sort of being human, Right? We realize that our most fundamental superpower is in our ability to love. Because at this point, you know, we've, we've experienced how it feels to be loved, uh, to feel love, and we've experienced what it's like to love others. And we can learn this through peak experiences like in relationships, but you know, even the most seemingly insignificant things like watering a plant or experiencing the joy and wonder of watching it grow, you know, like we start to feel this sort of unknown force in our lives sort of permeating everything that we do, right? And although love doesn't, you know, have a permanent and fixed image that we can sort of focus on, I mean, we can feel the presence of love through things like our actions, through nature, and uh, through even just the miracle that we're even alive at all. I mean, we could so easily not exist, right? But we do. And for that opportunity to exist, I mean, it, it would seem that there would be a loving intention permeating the sort of ground of experience, of existence. And uh, in Advaita Vedanta, they would call that force Brahman, what we're talking about. Okay, so uh, yeah, I could definitely spend a lot more time in this area of the heart chakra, but uh, for the sake of what we're discussing here, I'll place my Libra skills to the side so that we can move on. Um, so I, I would like to note that many people are completely content with finding a permanent home in the heart chakra without feeling a need to explore the remaining three chakras that exist, right? One could say that our journey past the heart typically consists of those looking to explore sort of deeper realms of the spirit. And so those that are content with the resonance of the heart, they, they may devote their lives to the simplicities of love. And it can look something like, you know, getting married, starting a family, uh, devoting their lives to philanthropy or nonprofit work, or maybe maybe even just working in healthcare, taking care of others, right? Or just, you know, simply living life in the most loving way that they can and, you know, maybe hitting a few bumps along the way. But nonetheless, you know, the heart chakra in and of itself is a fulfilling journey should someone decide to exist there permanently. And, you know, to be honest, it, it is for most people. Most people just enjoy being there. 
you know, for others, you know, specifically seekers of truth, the journey towards enlightenment just carries on, right? And we often find that uh, the impulse to carry on is really driven by a deep desire to either heal from the traumas of life or to just understand the deepest nature of our existence. And we may not exactly know what we're looking for in that moment, but there is this sort of um, intuitive knowing of something much more vast and expansive that exists. And, you know, we continue on our journey trying to understand what that is. Now, uh, when we move up through the chakras, uh, we find ourselves now at the throat chakra, which, you know, of course, the location is in the name, otherwise known as the Visuddha, or they also call it Visuddhi chakra in Hinduism. So the throat chakra is the energy center responsible for our ability to communicate our truth, right? And this sort of impulse to communicate, it, it's often driven by the beauty and awe that we learn about love up to this point. So I, I remember in my journey, um, I had several of what I would consider to be mystical experiences. And these occurred in, in just kind of various different ways. You know, Some of them happened through deep states of meditation, uh, some through plant medicine journeys, uh, some even through making love, right? And we even had some while sitting just peacefully in nature. And so if you're not familiar, uh, a mystical experience can be defined as um, a sort of blissful union with the absolute, where uh, in an instant, you feel as though you are one with the creator. And it can feel like, you know, in those moments that there are no boundaries that exist between you and God, right? You and that become one force. And, you know, it's difficult to explain without sounding sort of woo-woo, but that's exactly the point, right? Like, we can't explain it, right? No words can explain it, right? It becomes this sort of perfect metaphor for the spiritual journey because it isn't something that can be intellectually understood. It can only be experienced because, you know, in those moments, um, there isn't an experiencer and that which is experienced, right? Both the experiencer and the experience are one, right? And in an instant, you go from being the small, separate egoic self to becoming the fully absorbed in source or fully absorbed in Brahman or whatever you define as God, you be fully absorbed in that. And of course, you know, this can be a blissful experience and, you know, it often it is, but um, it can also be an experience just so intense and so powerful that it scares the shit out of you, right? Like not, not because the force is scary or that you're in some type of danger, but that, you know, the force of source is so powerful that it can sometimes trigger a lot of fear in the ego and in the body. Because to fully integrate with source, like we have to be willing to give up everything we believe about ourselves. And because this sort of focal point for belief is governed by our ego, we can sometimes experience fear just at the, the idea of surrendering ourselves to being obliterated by the unknown. Because we can't take our ego or our sense of self into the realm of the infinite with us. Okay, as Krishnamurti once said, he said, God is where ego is not, you know, because spirit is not governed by the body, right? The body is governed by the spirit. And because the body is a byproduct of a material nature, the, the ego existing within our brain is also a part of that nature. And because the body sort of eventually grows old and dies, the brain also dies with it. And so when we experience a type of union with God, we, we, we can't experience God and, and, and be who we think we are at the same time. And this is why it takes a lot of courage to enter into the realm of spirit. You know, often what follows a mystical experience is a dark night of the soul, right? Where our current understanding of the world just begins falling apart, right? And, and everything we imagine to be true about ourselves, about life, all of those things just start coming into question. And this, right, this is where the real deep spiritual work begins. So once we arrive to the Thot Chakra, there is a, a sense of duty that encompasses the spiritual journey. One where, you know, we feel a need to either teach or share our love with others. I mean, more than anything, the, the Thot Chakra is about speaking our truth, which, you know, in this case, Truth is synonymous with love. So, you know, we encounter the essence of, I guess we could say the bodhisattva, right? We, we, we encounter that essence and we begin sharing our love and our truth with the world. 
of course, this isn't an imposition. Okay, I, I would say a negative contrasting side to the throat chakra is when we try and impose our truth on someone else. And people do this all the time, right? Like we can see this a lot on social media, even in the realm of spirituality, you know, like where someone claims that something is true and also claims that something is untrue while at the same time, you know, criticizing others for believing differently, that whole thing. Uh, it would be safe to say that a lot of what people experience as block chakras has to do with the ego intervening into the practice of spirituality as a means to control, right? As a means to gain power or as a means to manipulate others. So if you ever feel like a chakra is blocked, I mean, I'd be willing to bet at least 100% of the time that it has something to do with that sort of rascal we call the ego just causing all the chaos in our life, right? Because, you know, the, the ego is like the moon that sort of eclipses the sun, right? Or it's like the clouds that cover this sort of infinite sky. Like when the ego creates shadows in our lives, we find it difficult to navigate through life safely, right? So instead of flowing gracefully through life, like we end up moving through life inhibited in some way, right? In the same way that, you know, maybe alcohol inhibits us from safely driving a vehicle, right? Like we end up bumping into things, not seeing important traffic signs, running lights, and potentially even hurting someone else because we aren't seeing things clearly when we're experiencing life purely from our imagination. So we have to be grounded in the light of truth. So when the heart chakra is operating at its full potential, we communicate our truth in a way that's, that's loving, right? That doesn't impose upon the journeys of others, right? You communicate your truth in a way um, that allows others to take what they need and apply it to their own lives. The most compassionate thing we can do in the realm of spirituality is to allow others to grow on their own and at their own pace, right? And it's easy to forget this, right? Especially when we embark on the journey of being a spiritual teacher. But there, there is one uh, acronym that I always keep in mind that sort of helps me remain grounded in this understanding, right? So for a minute, just think of the word love, right? Think of the word love, but think of it as an acronym that means let others voluntarily evolve because that is one of the most important things that we can practice on our journey, right? Allowing others to voluntarily evolve on their own. And this means that your experience may be true to you, but it may not be entirely true to someone else, right? There are an infinite number of paths to one destination, right? And so, you know, it's important to not take away someone's ability to discover truth on their own, right? So the throat chakra, it represents our ability to communicate our truth about love, and many people at this point, you know, they become, you know, the movers and shakers of the spiritual dimension. You know, they become teachers, speakers, healers, things like that. And uh, one can even say that divine nobodies came as a result of the throat chakra and all the other chakras sort of break dancing with it, right? Just dancing along. And so, you know, once we've illuminated the throat chakra, you know, we can we can continue on our journey up towards you know, one of the most profound chakras to awaken to on our journey. And that is the third chakra, the third eye chakra, which exists right between the eyes, just around the forehead area. And uh, the great sage, Paramahansa Yogananda, often called this the spiritual eye. And uh, he had you know, various systems of meditation designed around focusing our eyes upwards and crossed towards the third eye. And you may have seen images of uh, Indian sages or even Gautama Siddhartha, the Buddha, in meditation with their eyes closed, focused upwards. And if you aren't familiar with, with why, you know, it, why people do this when your eyes are pointed upwards, it, it can probably look a little odd to you, right? So, you know, often people with little understanding of Eastern traditions kind of confuse these gestures with images of, you know, things like possession or something evil, but it's really anything but that. You know, the third eye chakra is the seat of our most spiritual experiences in life, right? And it's really most commonly referred to as the energy center responsible for divine sight, right? It's responsible for things like wisdom. Uh, it's responsible for our intuition. Of course, at this point in our journey, if we've evolved to the level of the third eye, 
we notice the presence of the ego becoming more, uh, I would say, subdued, right? If not, you know, completely subjugated by spirit. And as a result of this, you know, we can find ourselves fully immersed in the spiritual self. I mean, this is, as I said, you know, the seat of where our consciousness becomes integrated with source. I mean, there, there are a myriad of ways in which we experience the inner workings of this chakra, right? It is at this center where we experience things like astral travel, lucid dreams, uh, remote viewing, and, you know, one of the most powerful forces one could experience in our lifetime. And that is the epicenter of where we feel our kundalini awakening. If you aren't familiar with the kundalini, it's it's another basically just like another word for prana or shakti energy or just pure consciousness of our spirit, right? So more than anything, you know, the, the kundalini is the traveler that we've been discussing throughout this podcast, right? In, in, in Hinduism, the symbolic representation of the kundalini is known to be a sleeping serpent that exists at the base of the spine. And as we move throughout our life, that serpent awakens and begins sort of traveling through each chakra, just starting from the root, right? Starting at the very base. That's where it awakens and begins its journey upwards, right? And as it travels through each chakra, it assists in the illumination of each of its qualities. Though, you know, once it gets to the third eye chakra, we're often hit with, you know, an experience so powerful usually and so powerful that it can often shock our entire systems. And, you know, if we aren't prepared to experience the charge of this energy, it can feel like, you know, you can feel like pumping 3,000 watts of electricity into a socket that can only take 1,000 watts. You know, that's why it's so important to have developed a, a spiritual practice at the third eye chakra, you know, preferably a practice that allows us to um, fully understand the spirit's relationship to ego, right? And as a result, you know, we're able to effectively look past the illusions and fears that the ego sort of places into our minds when we dive deeply into mystical experiences. Because a lot of the fears that people experience in things like astral projection or mystical experiences has to do with the ego's fear of the unknown. And as I said earlier, you know, where God is, the ego is not. So when we experience something as profound as a mystical vision, you know, the ego can't enter into this realm with you. You know, it goes kicking and screaming out the door as you sort of transcend into these realms because it, it can't wrap its mind around what it is. So what does it do? Right? What is it? What does it do? It tries to convince you that you're dying, right? It tries to convince you that if you enter into these realms, you won't come back. And as considerate as this may seem to get this message from the ego, like what it's really trying to say is that spirit can enter into these realms, but the I, the ego, can't go. So it starts crying like a little bitch, you know? It starts crying just trying to get you to not go. You know, it's like a little child that says, well, if I can't go, then you can't go either, you know? <laughs> and many people at this point, because they haven't developed a healthy relationship with their ego— or, you know, developed a firm understanding of the separation between spirit and ego, they think the voice of the ego is them. And of course, you know, they run away in fear because instead of understanding that the ego is dying, they think that they are dying. You know, when the, that kundalini sort of shakes the foundation of your world, it can feel like a literal death of sorts, right? This is one of the main reasons why people only get so far with things like astral projection, you know, like as soon as they start drifting into conscious sleep, our bodies enter the sort of vibratory stage where the spirit begins to depart from the body. And a part of this process involves uh, a sensation of your entire body just vibrating and sort of you're witnessing your body just essentially go numb and just falling asleep. And it's this process that typically scares the shit out of the ego, right? Because when the body begins to fall asleep, the ego has to go with it. And as a result, uh, we tend to feel feelings of panic and you know, experience fearful thoughts. A lot of people go through this. So many people at this point, you know, they, they freak out and they just abort the process altogether. But 
You know, those that have successfully practiced astral projection know that in order to successfully leave your body, you, ha- you, you have to ignore the dialogue of the ego and the sensations of the body. And this can be its own spiritual teaching in overcoming fear because just as we need to transcend the mind in order to uh, reach spiritual enlightenment, we also need to transcend mind in order to astral project, right? So just as I mentioned, you know, we, we can't take our ego into the spiritual domain with us because ego is governed by nature and the body. So our collaboration with ego is limited to this life. Once we get more familiar with the dynamics of the third eye chakra, uh, we begin, you know, venturing into more mystical realms of spirit. And, you know, from a more practical perspective, I think this can look like, you know, someone moving through life in a way that's more integrated with wholeness, right? With truth, with uh, our own divinity. So, you know, the third eye chakra has the ability to see each, to see each person as one and not other, right? In this realm, you know, uh, we stop sort of defining other people as separate from us, right? Instead of seeing your neighbor, you'll see God. Instead of seeing your mother, instead of seeing your father, or instead of seeing your best friend, you'll just see God, right? Like instead of focusing our attention on what makes people different, you'll focus on what makes us the same. Of course, you know, this isn't to say that we shouldn't celebrate people's creative differences, but in terms of the color of your skin, your beliefs, your morals, your ideals, instead of seeing the things we are largely conditioned to believe and see, we'll see God's love just permeating through every person, animal, and any, 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 anything in nature. Of course, just because we see them through the eyes of love, you know, doesn't mean that every person will see you the same way. You know, and that's okay. We can't expect every person in the world to see God in you in the same way that you see it in them. But, you know, what will happen is that you'll be able to see where a person's ego is eclipsing their ability to see you in a loving way. And with this understanding, we can practice compassion for them, knowing that, you know, anything someone else does to try and hurt us, it's not personal, right? So you see, the third eye chakra, it it stops seeing the world from a dualistic perspective, right? It sees only physical manifestations of sources, creative energy, expressing itself in different ways. I mean, sure, like someone may prefer sports over art or Christianity over Buddhism or, you know, prefer classic rock over EDM. But, you know, the fundamental basis of every human being is God. And it's God using the ego as a tool to learn about itself from different vantage points of expression and experience, right? You know, uh, I often come across those on the path that hold fairly hard and fast ideas that spirituality should look a certain way. And chances are, you know, if you're into spirituality, then you're likely into things like yoga, psychedelics, meditation, you know, new age music. And, you know, you may have a fair share of framed Buddha pictures on your wall at home, or even, you know, tattoos of sacred geometry, you know, and, and we often believe that anything outside of this realm is just too 3D or uh, too worldly for, you know, your all too enlightened self, right? And uh, we may not realize it, but we can get ourselves into really a whole lot of trouble with this frame of thinking because we don't realize just how subtle ego is and how it sort of intrudes on even our spiritual ideals, right? In our quest for oneness, like we inadvertently create an other with this type of thinking, because the truth is, like, there, there isn't anything in this world that isn't spiritual. There are just different dimensions of spiritual depending on what path you're on, right? Too often, we gauge spiritual competency by our own personalized scales of what we consider to be moral good. And while goodness, you know, is a good thing, like, we have to be very careful not to develop our own forms of spiritual discrimination against people that don't live life in exactly the same ways that you do. Right, this kind of thinking, right? This 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 kind of thinking can become an ego trap. And it's one that many people fall into on this path, unfortunately. Because to be honest, I mean everything, everything is spiritual. You know, like people aren't brainwashed, right? They aren't sheep. People are learning. And even if it takes them a million 
lifetimes to get to the level of understanding that you may be in this incarnation, it doesn't at all mean that they are less spiritual than you. And to be honest, I mean, the, the point of this journey isn't to have everyone perceive life in exactly the ways that we do. Because even if that's what we wanted, I, I, we know deep down that this life isn't designed that way. And so we need to respect every human in every phase of their lives they happen to be in. And the only way that that can happen, the only way that that can happen is if we you know, develop enough compassion to see things from this perspective, right? Is if we're seeing others through the eyes of the infinite and just you know, perceiving reality through the third eye, right? That is the best place to start because the third eye chakra, its function is to see the truth in everything, right? Not your truth, not ego's truth, but divine truth. And sight, spiritual sight, is one of the most potent ways that we can practice that. So once we've illuminated the third eye chakra, we approach the seventh and final chakra of the spiritual journey. Of course, some people may be familiar with more chakras beyond this point. Uh, you may have heard Sadhguru talking about at least 113 chakras, if you can believe it. But, you know, we won't get into that here because everything after the seventh chakra, <clears throat> you know, it stretches far beyond the physical journey. And uh, in this podcast, we want to focus on the more prominent ones that we collaborate with in this life, okay? So the seventh chakra um, is known as the crown chakra, which is located right above the head where, you know, someone would normally wear a crown. That's why it's called the crown chakra. And this seventh chakra is the focal point for spiritual enlightenment. And once we've entered through the gateway of this chakra, then, you know, we've entered into the domain of the infinite. And... Uh, in Buddhism, you know, they, they see the crown chakra as the sort of thousand-petaled lotus that begins to bloom after its sort of perilous journey from the bottom soil of the lake, traveling through the murky waters of life to meet the lotus above the water as it sort of transcends towards the heavens, right? It is a sort of symbolic representation of our return home back to God. Of course, you know, this, this doesn't always mean that literally death takes place. And more than anything, you know, we can see this as a symbolic death of everything contained within the ego that prevented us from unifying our spirit with God. I think uh, many people at this point experience a type of ego death, right, where the ego just sort of drops away. And what is left is this pure sense of love and understanding for everything in our lives. You know, like in this chakra, there's no difference between us and God. Right? It's undeniably clear where we stand. Right? Instead of pursuing life through the realm of the person, we're experiencing life through the eyes of the infinite. And if we're courageous enough to, to reach the crown chakra in this lifetime, then it's likely that it took you hundreds, if not thousands, of lifetimes to reach this point. Because, like I said, you know, many people are perfectly content with living their lives sort of dwelling in the lower chakras. But those that reach the crown, you know, they're typically devoted to seeking liberation as their primary goal of existence, right? So if we think of any ascended master, whether it be uh, Sri Ramana Maharshi, Paramahansa Yogananda, Buddha, Krishna, all these sages are a perfect example of those that have had, you know, reached, you know, the, the crown chakra, right? And it's common, especially in Eastern traditions, to to feel this want and this desire to leave their bodies after this point, right? Because they've learned what they had to learn here and they're ready to return back home to source. And uh, as beautiful as it may be to arrive to the crown chakra, you know, one of the most important points that I wanted to make about enlightenment lies in the journey that it took to arrive at this point, right? You'll notice that it, it takes us learning to become a human being in order to even understand that we aren't human beings, right? You'll notice that it takes us experiencing life as a person in order to awaken to the truth of who we are. And this is, this is one of the most profound teachings we can extract from the spiritual journey, is that, you know, we needed every experience in our life to occur in order for us to reach this state of liberation. And this means, you know, that every trauma, every mistake, every pain, every heartbreak, Right? Every act of violence, every act of selfishness, every act of grace, every act of good, all of that 
is worked into the spirit's journey in awakening to the eternal self. So for all of you out there that are are dedicated to eradicating all the negative aspects of your past, uh, it's important to understand how detrimental those experiences are in your quest for enlightenment. Because we couldn't even awaken to the truth of who we are without first understanding who we aren't first. And that is the reason for this sort of contrast in life, right? Like that is the reason why suffering and pain and heartbreak exist. Because if it didn't, you know, we would have no way to learn what it means to love. Because it's, it's in this contrast that we see the illuminated forces of light sort of against the backdrop of the darkness, right? So I think a more practical way to explain this would be uh, we would have no way to reach understanding without the contrast of ignorance. So it all works together, right? It all works together in what you know Hindus call Maya or the divine place, the divine drama, you know? Like falling asleep is, is built into the journey of self-exploration, right? Falling asleep so that we can just wake up, you know, that is the game, right? And it's a game that we're all playing at our own pace, you know? So go in a pace that's comfortable for you, you know? There are no wrong paths to the same destination, right? There are only paths that make it easier for us to arrive there, but it's up to you, you know? It's up to you. So to summarize all of this, the chakra system is an archetypal journey that is built into the fabric of every human's experience on earth. And at some point, you know, each and every person will go through these archetypal growing periods in their life, right? It's, it's really, it's much like the major arcana in Tarot, if you're familiar with Tarot. But the most important part of this journey is that it isn't a trivial new age system of blocking or unblocking, Right? Like it isn't a diagnostic tool meant to show you how fucked up your solar plexus chakra is for missing your 7 p.m. yoga class, right? It is so much more profound and beautiful than something we can use to gauge what level of material or physical success we're at in this life. Like what it is, is our direct path back to source. You know, it's our direct path back home. So in other words, my friends, you know, uh, if you happen to come across a <laughs> humorous new age meme on the internet, you'd be surprised at how much wisdom you can extract from even, you know, the most ridiculous of memes. And of course, you know, perhaps one of the most profound things we can learn is to just remember to have fun and laugh, you know, like laugh in the way that Buddha laughed at the sky once he overcame the clutches of Mara and, you know, became enlightened under the Bodhi tree. You know, this cosmic drama unfolds in some of the most peculiar ways sometimes, you know, and in the midst of all of that, sometimes, you know, sometimes all we need to do is laugh. So I just want to say thank you guys for tuning in Divine Nobody's podcast. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, uh, please like and subscribe if you're uh, listening to this episode on Apple Podcast or any of the other auto platforms that the show is on uh, spotify things like that we're also on youtube uh, if you want to see the vi video elements of these podcasts we post our content there as well as um, videos of us and our guests if uh, you feel called please feel free to like and subscribe we always love your support if you have any questions you could also find us on instagram or on social media you can find us at uh, the same name divine nobody's podcast we'd love to hear from you you can send us a message we post uh you know some daily weekly content there for you to review but uh, in the meantime, uh, we appreciate, again, all of your support along our path. And we hope to talk to all of you soon. Namaste, friends. <laughs>